Welcome back to The Being Giant Show. I'm one of your hosts, Rochelle, and if you're tuning in for the first time, well, this is a podcast for academics by academics. This week's episode features Chris Nabati, a med school student at the University of Miami. As you listen, you'll hear Krishna talk about the path of becoming a doctor, the importance of having different kinds of mentors, and the steps she took to get into med school. This podcast is being presented by B Giants Media. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at B Giants Media for any of our latest updates. As always, we hope that you guys enjoy the episode. Well, hi, Krishna. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Um... Man, what a time. It's it's been it's been a while. Yes, it's been a very long while. But we're here now. That we are. And uh I mean, I know that we haven't, you know, spoken for, you know, a really long time, but I have, you know, been trying to keep tabs on you via social media and stuff and via LinkedIn. So I know you've been doing a lot of cool things out there. So it makes me really proud to like see someone who like I knew, you know, doing all these really cool things. So Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. No problem. Um, well, why don't we just go ahead and jump straight into this thing? And, uh, you know, um, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm a first year medical student at the University of Miami. Um, I started school again back in August. Before that, I was doing research full time. So I was working as a research associate. Um, and now I'm back in school, full blown, doing the med school, med school life. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Wow. Okay. Med school. That's crazy. And like, what is it? So, I mean, I don't know much about med school. I just know that, okay, you know, you go, you do your undergrad and then after that med school is like what, four years. And then that's, then you do residency or like med school is residency. No. So it's a very long medicine is a very long road. (laughs) So you basically, you do your four years of undergrad, you get your bachelor's, And then some people may or may not choose to take some time off. And then you start medical school. Um, And then that's four years, typically. Some people get dual degrees during that time. Um, And then once you graduate from medical school, you have your MD. Um, Then you go into residency. So residency is when you decide to specialize. um, Mm -hmm. You figure out what kind of doctor that you want to be. If you want to be a neurologist, internal medicine, whatever. Um, and depending on the residency program that you go into, that determines how long it might be. So it right. can be as short as, you know, three or four years. Or if you go into something really complicated like neurosurgery, that could be like a six-year-long stint. Um, and then after that, if you decide that you want to specialize even more, um, which a lot of people do, um, you do a fellowship. So, for example, if you want to go into neurology, but you want to specifically see people with movement disorders then you do a residency in neurology and then a fellowship after that which might be one or two years in movement disorders mm-hmm. um, and then you'll be on your own and ready to ready to go do you think okay so there there's the path for you how do you feel about that timeline now you just said it out loud again i'm pretty sure you've been thinking about it for years but how does that feel it's, you, you know, like, it's it's the path that I've chosen in life, so I've accepted that it's, like, a long road to get there, um, but there's so much growth that can happen on the way, 
So I just think about I just think about that. I just think about how much time I have to grow and um, to really become a great doctor and be able to like explore my interests in really great ways. So it's a long winding road. Um, but you know, if you can't imagine yourself doing anything else, then the time doesn't necessarily feel doesn't it doesn't feel too bad because you're doing something that you love. So. Well, that's the uh, that's the goal, right? That's the hope. The hope is to try to do something that's both rewarding and fulfilling, and you know, at the same time, brings you a certain level of stability in your life. So, yeah, okay. of course. yeah. Well, how did your interest in medicine even begin in the first place? Now, I know that, like, you know, we're both Haitian. Um, so, you know, was it something along the lines of like, okay, I have Haitian parents and like, you know, you're going to be an engineer, doctor, <laughs> lawyer, was it something like that or it was just something that came to you naturally? Um, well, a little bit of both. So yes, you know, Haitian parents, I had that very like school and education, you know, when you come out the womb, it's leko, 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 school, 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 and that's it. Uh, but my parents also both work in the medical field. So mm -hmm. I had exposure since at a very young age. Um, so I kind of knew since I was little, sort of just watching my parents in the medical field, like, that I wanted to kind of follow in their footsteps. And then as I got older and I started sort of coming up with my own reasons for wanting to go into medicine. Um, mm. And really what I love about it is, one, I love science and I love being able to like look at problems critically, think about them. Um, I love the opportunity to have an impact to help people in that way. And I think mm -hmm. that medicine also gives you like a really unique opportunity to learn people's stories. Um, and that's that's what I love is that I love to listen to people's stories. Like I love the opportunity to sit down, talk to somebody, hear about hear about them as a person and not just their disease. Um, and at the end of that conversation you know, figure out what's going on and then try to help them and solve that problem. So I really fell in love with like the people aspect of it, the problem, problem solving aspect of it. Um, and so it started off with my parents and sort of them being an inspiration for me. And then I found my own reasons and my own motivations along the way. Mm, okay, so when you entered undergrad, did you, you did you already have this goal of hey, I'm going to go to med school and I'm going to be a doctor. Yeah, I, I definitely did. Um, I went into undergrad knowing that I was going to be pre-med. Um, and it's just, you know, I stuck my head in the books and I did what I had to do. Um, <laughs> but I definitely, I, I, I knew from a very early point that I definitely wanted to do this. Okay, that's pretty fire. Now, I, I know you said that uh, you you're now... This is your first year in med school and you went through the timeline, right, of all these different steps and all the years and stuff. So at this point, I know that you've done a little bit of research during undergrad and also you, you took a little break, right, between undergrad and med school. Do you kind of have an idea of like what, I guess, what branch of medicine you want to go down? So, yes and no. So, yes in that I'm really interested in neurology, um, so brain diseases, and that's because I've done a lot of research in neurology. In my undergrad, I did research in Parkinson's disease. Um, during my break from school when I was working, I was doing research in Alzheimer's disease. Um, so, I just love, like, the complexity of the brain. 
I sort of love how little we know about the brain, like compared to other organs, um, the amount that we know about the brain now and like 50 years ago, 20 years ago is not substantially more. <laughs> and so I love that opportunity to continue to ask questions. Um, and so I'm really interested in neurology, but I also say no because I want to keep myself open to other specialties. I don't want to, you know, close myself off to anything else that might interest me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for example, some days I find OB-GYN, uh, obstetrics and gynecology, really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think about that. Maybe I'll do that. Um, but the most important thing to me is just keeping an open mind and, you know, whatever reveals itself to me um, to be what I'm most interested in. Then that's eventually where I'll go. Um, but right now, I, I really do love neurology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty fire. That's fire. So I guess my next question for you would be, so what are, can, walk me through like med school a little bit and stuff. So you, so right now you kind of have this interest and stuff. By the end of med school, you should have a night, you should really know, you know, what kind of doctor you, you want to be in, right, for, before you take that residency step. So can you tell me a little bit about how med school is structured to help, you know, future doctors, you know, answer that question for themselves? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so each medical school is a little bit different. Um, but I can tell you about, you know, sort of how things look generally, and then also how things are done at the University of Miami. Um, so usually, traditionally, med school has like a two plus two model. So you spend two years in the classroom. So you learn all of like the physiology, all the pathology, you learn all about the organ systems. That's sort of like your first exposure. Um, And then you spend two years doing clinical things. So you go to the hospital, you do rotation, things like that. Um, The way that the University of Miami is set up, and it's one of the reasons why I really wanted to come here, Mm -hmm. is that instead of like a two plus two, it's like a one plus three model. So you spend one year in the classroom Um, and then you spend three years having clinical experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the way that med school really tries to help students figure out what they want to do is that they try to expose you to everything and also give you the freedom to, if you find something that interests you, then you take the time to explore that. So for example, in my second year, I'm going to start going on Um, clerkship rotations and basically what that is is that you spend maybe six weeks maybe less than that you spend a few weeks um, rotating in a specialty so I'll spend six weeks doing um, you know I'll be on the OB-GYN service and I'll you know be delivering babies or helping to deliver babies for six weeks and then I Mm -hmm. might spend another six weeks in surgery Um, so I'll experience going on surgeries and doing surgeries and being there or I'll spend another six weeks doing um, like GI, so gastrointestinal, looking at all of those different um, diseases and pathologies in that field. So really, mm-hmm. they try to give you some time to um, get hands on with each of the different specialties so that you can get a better like day-to-day feeling of how things go because you can like read about it all day long and study it in a book all day long. But the most important thing is really getting that hands-on experience. Um, And they always say that the best way for you to decide like which specialty you want is you have to think about like 
what is the fundamental thing about that specialty and can you imagine yourself doing that every single day like for example if it was um gynecology like the fundamental thing about what ob-gyn do it's i like women's health and like delivering babies so do you see yourself being happy doing that every single day can you stand to do that every single day for the rest of your life um, and then obviously you can be more specific and specialized within that it's not just delivering babies or just doing gynecological exams um mm-hmm. but you have to sort of can you can you see yourself doing like that foundational thing of that specialty and if you can then that's that's what's right for you um Mm -hmm. so like if you want to go into gi can you see yourself doing colonoscopies like can you stand to do a colonoscopy every day for the rest of your life um or every so often if you can't then maybe gi is not the field for you um but really outside of you know the school setting up opportunities for you to go in and rotate at the hospital um you Mm -hmm. also are able to get involved doing research so if you're interested in whatever specialty, you find somebody who will let you do like a small research project. Um, and that way you get to learn a little bit more about it, learn about um, the potential for new ideas and new, um, you know, projects in that field. And that's another way for you to, to, that's another way for you to experience the different specialties and help to decide which one is the one that you really want to go into. But the most important thing is just putting yourself in positions to get experience. Um, And also they really emphasize shadowing in medical school, even before medical school, if you're interested in becoming a doctor, um, you know, finding a doctor and sort of shadowing them, again, being their shadow, um, and just spending the day with them, seeing what they do, um, is a really great way also to experience if something, if that specialty is, is really what, is really what you're drawn to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay okay wow it's a very involved process but at least you know well from what you just described to me uh with the university of miami at least they're really giving you the opportunity to really see everything in a holistic uh way so that's good um now i know that so you, you know, you do like the idea of being able to interact with, uh, with patients and stuff like that. And you've also done research. So I, I just wanted to know, like, you know, between those two. So it, for me, I would see it as um, like doing the hands on versus like, you know, being in the lab and stuff and, and kind of like doing the research. Um, is there at this point, do you prefer one over the other or is it still like very much, you know, you're looking forward to doing the uh, patient interaction stuff? Yeah, so I'm, I'm all about the patient interaction. That's always going to be my first love. Um, and then the research is something that I am also very passionate about because I know that it can help my patients. So I'm always going to center my goal and myself around what can I do to help my patients. Um, and research is sort of like a supplement to that. Um, and the thing is, like, in medicine, you can never have a 50-50 balance. Like, as, as much as you would love that, it's just not possible. It usually ends up being, like, 80-20, probably, 60-40, if you can really, like, you know, work the system well. Um, so for me... I will probably have ideally sort of like a 70-30 balance of mostly clinical interactions, mostly patient experiences, 
and then also sort of keeping myself involved with research so that I can know what you know the most updated ways to help my patients are I can be a part of helping my patients um and sort of really be a part of that innovation of medicine Mm -hmm. so for me that's you know patient experience will always be my first love but I do want to keep my self-involved with research because I know that it can better enhance the experience of my patients and the care that I'm able to give them in the future. Mm, okay. Okay. Now, when you were applying to, to med school, um, did you consider uh, MD, PhD programs? Because I know that's kind of like a, a new thing. I did. I did actually. When I, when I took, when I first took my research job, um, I told like one of, my boss says there, I was like, yeah, I'm interested in MD, PhD now. Um, and he sort of like holds it, holds it to me to this day that I didn't end up doing an MD, PhD because I told him <laughs> I wanted an MD, PhD. Um, and the reason why I didn't do the MD, PhD, so the MD, PhD is like a seven or eight year program, depending on where you, when, where you are. Um, mm-hmm. So the time was a little bit of a, of a drawback for me. And then also after talking to a lot of people who have MD PhDs, um, I really like I really wanted to make sure I talked to people who had them so that I could figure out what is your motivation behind getting an MD PhD, um, right. and what drives you. And for them, they are all about the research, but they want to get the MD so that they can have like the tools to understand that clinical knowledge. So their ultimate mm. career goal is to run a lab. And maybe they'll see, maybe they'll still see patients, maybe not, maybe once a week. Um, but our motivations were, were different. I wanted my patient experiences, my clinical experiences to be first and research to supplement that. And for so many of the NDPHs that I spoke to, they wanted their research to be first and clinic would be just a way for them to, you know, figure out what to research. So mm-hmm. when I saw that sort of, you know, disalignment and motivations, I realized that it's not necessarily the right step for me and my career goals. Um, so that's why I ended up not doing it in the end. So it's it, it all depends on what you want and like what you want to accomplish. I think the MDPHG is like, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, if you really want to do research, if that's your first love, then it's such a great opportunity because you don't pay for it. They pay you, in fact. <laughs> they give you, like, a nice mm-hmm. stipend. Um, but, you know, you really have to decide, is research, like, the first love, or is it the patient and clinical experiences? Because you, you can't necessarily have both of them. And with the MD-PhD, it, research should be really, really what you want. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and, and these, uh, these, these programs, that's seven to eight years, and then you still got to go do residency, right? yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. The end of the okay, road that's... is 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 far away for 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 that path. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let's talk about you know some you know your your research experience for a little bit. Yeah. Now I know during undergrad I, I remember seeing that uh you like posted something about research that you had presented and stuff. So why don't you go ahead and tell me about, you know, what was the experience like getting involved in research at the undergraduate level and just how it helped inform some of the things that you wanted to do today? Yeah. 
Um, so getting involved in research as an undergrad, I think that there's a lot of fear that it's difficult, but it's actually very easy um, in the sense that you just have to be willing to put yourself out there. And so I remember like mm-hmm. I spent a couple of days and I just emailed like, I don't know, maybe 15 different PIs to principal investigators who were running labs and research that I thought was interesting. And at the time, like I didn't have any pre- previous research experience. So I was kind of just like, here's my you know resume. I'm really interested in getting involved in your research. Um, do you have maybe half an hour to sit down and talk to me? Um, so that I can tell you about my interest and I can hear a little bit more about your research and any opportunities that you might have for me to join. Um, so you mm-hmm. really have to set yourself up to go after it. Um, and then not everybody's going to email you back. I think I had maybe like, you know, two people email me back. Um, and the first person that I met with, that's the lab that I ended up joining and it ended up being really great for me. Um, and so I started off doing Parkinson's in a Parkinson's disease lab. Um, that was like my first like real research project before that I would, you know, do little things here and there, but it wasn't super hands-on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that lab, um, I started off by just working with one of the postdocs. So one of the people who already had PhDs and were already, you know, very experienced with research. Um, I would just help them out with whatever it is that they needed. Um, so any opportunity that someone was like, hey, Kristen, do you want to watch me do this? Yes, I absolutely want to watch you do that. Um, and you just approach <laughs> it with excitement and with enthusiasm. And the point of you being there is just to be like a sponge and to just absorb as much knowledge as just as much that you can. Because um, that will really help you to sort of figure out what you want to do in the end. So like I as part of that lab, there was somebody who was doing a lot of work with mice. So, like, you would ask me, do you want to watch me do this with the mice today? I would be like, yeah, absolutely. And I would be there, and I did not like working with mice. And so now I know I don't want to work with mice in, in research. It's not my thing. Um, but the fact that I was enthusiastic to, like, get involved with it um, is what helped me figure out whether or not I want to do that. So after being in that lab for, like, about a year, um, and I felt comfortable, I felt acclimated, I reached out to the PI, to the private, to the principal investigator, um, and I asked her and I told her that I kind of wanted to do an independent project. I wanted to, you know, come up with my own question um, and ask it and think of creative and cool ways to answer that. Um, so then I went with her with like a plan, like I read a couple of research papers, I presented to her my question that I wanted to ask, and she was like, okay, great. So then she paired me up with somebody else in the lab, like an actual PhD or MD he was. And he sort of mentored me through my project. Um, And then I worked on that for about a year. And when you do independent work like that, you really have to be the one to drive the research that's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. And there were things that I didn't know, but I was lucky enough to have a mentor who was able to help me out through it. Um, And then in the end, I was able to submit that research that I had done over that year and a half or so to um, a conference, the American Neurological Association, um, and they gave me like a student award. So they gave me some money to be able to travel to Atlanta to present my poster. Um, So it was, you know, like an all expenses paid trip. And it was an opportunity for me to just um, talk about my research in an academic setting. And it's pretty, it's not as popular to see undergrads presenting at research conferences. 
Um, so mm-hmm. I felt super excited and I was super proud. I think also as a black woman, there were, I don't often see people who look like me in the research space. Um, and I still didn't see a lot of people who looked at me at the conference, who looked like <laughs> me at the conference. Um, but it was a blessing just to be there. Um, my mom came with me to Atlanta, so she was super oh, proud. That's so fire. It was like the whole thing. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it felt so like good just to get, you know, positive feedback about my research poster and just that experience and, you know, breathing in that energy and being around it. It was a huge motivation. Um, and it was like, it was, it, I definitely super proud when I look back on that experience. Um, and yeah, that was, that's how that story went. <laughs> wow. That's, that's really great. You know, being able to, you know, one, one working in the lab is like really important experience to get because you're actively doing problem solving, you're setting up your experience, your experiments and stuff like that. You're getting a good understanding of like the, the, the experimental design process, but then also figuring out how to validate the results that, you know, you're getting and stuff. But then at the same time, you're, are, you're getting the experience of working with someone who is, uh, who is the expert, right? Who is well-versed in that field. And then, you know, it's kind of a humbling experience in a way, right? Because you're like, you know, I'm out here, I'm trying to do all these things, but at the same time, I also have to like, you know, be humble and realize like, yo, at this point of my like career and stuff, like being an undergrad, you don't know anything, right? There's so many things that you don't know. And even me, right, as a, as a grad student now, I'm just like, man, there's still a lot of things that I don't know. I still don't know anything. So that's great. And then on top of that, um, uh, the getting to present at a conference, like going to conferences are, I feel like it's super critical too, because it gives you an opportunity to step out of the bubble of your own university, of your department and stuff like that. And you get to interact with other individuals who are at other institutions and you see how they uh, go about, you know, doing things and stuff. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why, um, uh, a lot of uh, professors will heavily encourage students to, like, once they're graduating and stuff, if they're considering graduate school or if they're considering uh, med school or any other, like, professional profession, um, they kind of, in, like, encourage them to go elsewhere, right, to kind of, like, expand upon their network as opposed to staying at the same institution for, for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rare that you'll, you, you'll find that. Um, okay, cool. Now... You mentioned that you did take a break, right, between um, undergrad and uh, and med school and stuff. So can you tell me a little bit about the reasons why you decided to take a break as opposed to just, you know, charging straight ahead? Um, there were so there were a couple of reasons why I did that. So for one, um, undergrad. So I went to the University of Pennsylvania for undergrad. Um, I can only speak to my experience, but going to school at an elite institution, there's, it was, it, it was a lot. So there's a lot of academic pressure. Um, you know, the pre-med environment was super competitive. Um, and it just, I sort of needed like a little academic break. I just needed, you know, to hit the snooze button for just a little bit, um, and sort of give myself time to, 
you know, be who I am and be myself outside of school. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that I took that time because I wanted to take the time to really mature in my goals, mature in my like view of life. Because school is like school school can feel comfortable sometimes because school sort of you know, you know you're supposed to take your classes, you gotta go to class, you gotta do well. Um It gives you structure. Yeah, right, exactly. It gives you this very comfortable sense of structure and I wanted to kind of just take a pause from that and then regroup and go back into that environment knowing exactly what I wanted um, and knowing, you know, exactly what I would want to do to get there without feeling like I had to follow a mold or follow certain steps, um, especially at sort of like my institution. There was a lot of like comparing yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to take a time off from school to be able to, you know, what does Krishna want outside of the school environment, outside of this academic environment? Um, you know, what is it that I'm looking for? Um, and it really gave me an opportunity to mature in that way. Um, and mm-hmm. then the other reason why I took some time off from school, I think that that was the biggest reason. Um, but I also needed to study for my MCAT exam. So um, before you can go to medical school, you have to take your MCAT. Um, and a lot of people are able to take their MCAT, take their MCAT during undergrad and do phenomenally well on it. Um, but for full transparency, I was not one of those people. <laughs> I was like, I need some dedicated study time. Um, cause I was, I was the over-involved undergrad student where I was, you know, taking all my pre-med classes and I was also super involved on campus life and student organization, because mm-hmm. those things outside of the classroom is really what motivated me and really what brought me happiness. And those are the experiences that I'm most grateful for. Um, so I took the time off to be able to just prepare my application for medical school as well. Um, so taking my MCAT, taking a couple of extra classes as well. Um, and then just really just taking my time with things. Um, what you'll notice with like grad school, med school, if you're doing a PhD, master's, whatever, People are starting those programs older and older and older, I think, because one, people want to have life experiences. Um, Initially, I wanted to, like, have my, I took two years off. I wanted to have a year to be able to just, like, travel and, like, do a bunch of things. Um, And then I didn't get to do that as much because I ended up working full time. And then also the pandemic sort of put a pause on a lot of plans that I had. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people realize that continuing school straight through, there's a little bit of like a burnout that you have. Um, and you know, you want to experience life a little bit. Um, and I, and I'm grateful for it. I'm definitely grateful. I took, I made the right decision. There are people who started medical school in my class who are, you know, in their thirties or even a little bit older in their forties. So I think it's like a decision that you have to make for yourself and what's right for you and what, you know, feels good because there is no, there's, you know, school is always going to be there, but certain life experiences are not going to be there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I, I was grateful that I took that time for like maturity and took that time to really prepare myself and present my application in a way where I knew that when I applied, like I would be able to get in. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, mad respect for that, because um, I feel oftentimes, especially, you know, when you are in the in the STEM field, right, maybe for 
outside of engineering. But for the most part, like if you're studying the physical sciences, um, doing pre-med and stuff, the, the expectation is that like, okay, the next step for you is for you to, you know, go to grad school, is for you to go to med school and, and stuff like that. So that, that the idea of taking that in between, it is kind of bizarre because there is no blueprint for it because all of a sudden, you know, you go from having the structure and then there's this like little small period where you can literally do whatever it is that you want to do. I feel like a lot of people don't know, you know, how to even approach, you know, taking a time off. So that way they don't feel like they're wasting time. So my question for you would be, um, when you were thinking about these things, you know, did you have like mentors and stuff who you were able to talk things through so that way you can come to like the decision that you made or were you just like, you know what, I know myself, this is going to be the best thing for me. This is how we're going to do things. No, I definitely had mentors. I, I'm somebody who I do not believe that anyone is self-made. And if like the concept of being self-made or that you're going to become someone who's self-made and you can do it all by yourself, all the power to you, but life would be so much easier if you have a mentor, if you have people in your corner. Like I talk, like I always say this ever since starting from high school until now, I have been lucky and fortunate and blessed enough to have mentors along the way who opened certain or exposed me to certain opportunities that I would have had a much harder time finding myself. Uh-huh. And so I always tell people like finding a mentor is like one of the best things that you can do for yourself. And there's different kinds of mentors, right? Like you have, you can have a mentor who, um, you know, who, who can just understand you, who you sort of feel like you can vent to and will sort of either give you tough love. Like I've had tough love mentors in my life. Um, and I've also had mentors who, you know, were very nice and, oh, you're feeling stressed. Like that's okay. Um, but you also need to have mentors who I sort of call them. Um, there's a name for them that I can't really remember. But a mentor who can connect you to other people. So, for mm. example, I had a mentor um, from my job that I was doing during my break, and he really helped to streamline the process of me getting into medical school because he was connected to people that I knew that could help me. Um, So you Mm -hmm. have to identify different mentors. You know, you identify a mentor who's doing what you want to do in life so you can sort of, you know, learn more about their path, see how you can emulate them. You identify a mentor who is well-connected and who can also connect you and expose you and open certain doors for you. Um, And then you also have a mentor who just knows you and can relate to you. It doesn't even necessarily have to be in your field, um, but just somebody yeah. who can, who's, you know, who's just wiser than you are. Cause there's always somebody who's going to know more than you are. And the best way for you to get to that point is to learn from that person. So I had, I'm grateful for all of my mentors. I'm grateful. I, I, I still stay in contact with them to this day. Like pe- teachers from high school, teachers from professors from undergrad, I try to, like, at least once a year send, like, an email or a text to those people and just say, hey, like, how are you? This is what I've been up to Um, because, you know, I'm not self-made. Like, somebody has helped me in a tremendous way 
each way like from my me joining my first lab that PI she's my mentor and if she didn't give me that opportunity I wouldn't have been able to go to a conference as an undergraduate student um, I wouldn't be able to like have certain things on my resume that helped me get my job like she was the reason or she helped to connect me to the PI that I got at my second job during my gap year and so that process was a little bit easier and then that PI at my second job helped me to you know, streamline my process into getting into medical school because he was well-connected and she was well-connected. And so it's sort of like, you sort of build, um, you know, your mentorship relationship. And it's a two-way street, right? Like, I I know that I myself have done good work. These mentors wouldn't believe in me if I didn't believe in myself. And if right. I didn't, you know, I didn't show up every day, I didn't do good work every day, and I, I didn't, you know, prove myself um, not necessarily prove myself because that's that's not really the way that I don't want to say that you have to prove yourself to anybody, but you do. You showed effort. You show effort exactly, um, and so you give people a reason to believe in you because you know how much you believe in yourself, and it makes life it makes life so much easier. Like I'm sure that you know, with on my own volition, I would still be successful because I'm determined and I'm motivated and I have the discipline. But there's no reason to work so much harder if you could just find a mentor and make your life a little bit easier. Like, it's not about working as hard to the bone. I, I truly believe that your network and the people that you identify to help you along the way, like, makes such a huge, it makes such a huge difference. Hmm. I agree with you a, a thousand percent. I really like the way you um kind of just put the whole fi- finding a finding different kinds of mentors right um because that that's very that's very important the it's kind of like the same thing with um with the relationship that you have with friends right you have different friends who uh you don't have the same relationship with you know people who you're friends with right you have friends who you can like you know really really confine in you have friends who you can like just go out to a social event with you know they're the ideal person to do that Um, and you have friends who, you know, who come over around your house, who, you know, who know your family and stuff like that. So you have friends for like, you know, different reasons. That's definitely a concept that should be applied to your professional life as well, because, you know, especially today, you know, in today's, uh, world where you, this age of information where like, there's like a ton of information everywhere but like just because you have all of this information out there it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to find the answer that you need right that's gonna you know work for you so you got to be able to find those individuals who will be able to like say hey this one thing I can definitely like you know help you in that regard so that's awesome absolutely and like friends friends are also good relationships like Issa Rae, she said this, she said something about like, you don't just network up, you network with the people that are around you as well. Um, and I would agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like I wouldn't, I, I think like the biggest lesson that I've learned in medical school is to find your tribe um, and, you know, find like that group of people who can help you, who you can count on. Um, and those are the people that, you know, you stick with through life who may not do the exact same thing that you do, but they motivate you and they inspire you. Um, and that greatness, you know, pushes you to continue to be greater as well. Right, right. No, definitely. You got to, like, energy, right? 
you yeah. got to be around the people who have the the right sense of energy so that way you know you can like push yourself and like move forward and stuff now yeah so now you you said that uh um so you you took a gap year but you ended up working full time so how did you end up getting like you know what did you, first of all what is it that you did right like what where were you working and stuff like that and how did you go about getting that uh opportunity yeah um, so I was working as a research associate at the Hussman Institute for Human Genomics, um, which is part of the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. So the way that I started working there, so um, I went to Penn, like I said, for undergrad, and the research, the PI's lab that I was in at Penn, um, you know, I sort of told her when I was graduating, I was like, she was asking me, you know, what are you, what are you thinking about doing next? Um, and she was happy to bring me on for a job during my gap year but I told her that you know I I kind of want to go back home <laughs> I want to mm-hmm. be around my family um you know for me taking this time off from school I want to be you know I want to be comfortable and I want to be in like a safe space and I just I just miss my family as well and I also knew that I wanted to go to the University of Miami for medical school um so I right. kind of wanted to put myself in a position that would make reaching that next step a little bit easier because I knew I knew that um you know me taking those years off was just temporary so I wanted to set set myself up in a position where it would be easier for me to reach my next step during this Uh you know break period um and so I told her yeah I'd love to go do research at the University of Miami um and she said oh okay I know these PIs who um, run the genomics. I was doing genomics research for her as well. And so she was like, I know the people who, you know, do genomics research over at UM. Um, I can give you their contact information. So I said, great. Um, I sent the main PI an email with my CV and a little like introduction about myself. Um, you know, I sort of talked about the research that I had done, showed her my CV. Um, and then she forwarded my resume and my information to um, sort of the entire institute. Um, and like within a few weeks, I I had like a couple, I had an offer um, to be able to join on. So that's how I got into that position. So I'm super grateful to my previous PI for helping me get connected. Um, mm-hmm. And then what I was basically doing during that time is I was doing research in Alzheimer's disease, um, and I was specifically doing stem cell research. Um, And the questions that I was asking with the research is, um, are there pathological differences in how Alzheimer's disease presents itself in people of African versus European ancestry? Um, And I'm going to get a little bit in the weeds with like the science terminology here. Um, but basically, there's this gene, it's called ApoE, that's highly associated with Alzheimer's disease. So, like, if somebody has this gene and a, partic- a particular version of this gene, I could say, then their risk for Alzheimer's is significantly higher. Um, but uh-huh. the thing is, if somebody of African ancestry with this same gene, um, their risk is actually, it's almost protective. So, it's, that's weird, you know? Um, and so that's sort of the question we were asking is one, why, why does it look different in somebody of European ancestry versus African ancestry? And what is it about this difference? Like what's going on in the person's body 
um, that's showing this difference between somebody of European versus African ancestry. Um, and then using stem cells and stem cell models to be able to analyze that difference. Um, so that's what, that's what I was doing during that time. Wow. The researcher in me just like, you just kind of just blew my mind. That sounds so interesting. Wow. It is. It's it's cool. very interesting. Stuff. Wow. <laughs> um, so, and so this position, like this was a, a paid position, right? Oh, yes. Yes, it was paid. <laughs> no, because you know, because you know in other areas, right, like, like, for example, in like the physical sciences and stuff, they'll, they'll be like, well, not a lot of funding. We'll take you on, but not a lot of funding to like, you know, pay you. That's, you know, that's a thing. So, but you were able to like, you know, earn income. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Income, benefits, health insurance. <laughs> Be- what? Oh, okay. You were living. Okay. That's what we like to hear. Um, okay. So you managed to, so you ended up working there for about a year. Two years. I was there for two years. Two, two years. Okay. So how did your time, like, in this role, how did it help you with getting into med school at UM? Well, for one, it taught me – well, okay. So for one, doing research is a wonderful thing to have on your resume. Um, people love research. It's helpful for getting into medical school because um, – you know, people see that you have something that you're interested in and that you know how to ask a question critically. And they also are coming in with like a certain set of skills, like um, like whatever sort of techniques that I was working with. Um, so that's really helpful. But also plenty of people go to me- get into medical school without doing research. So you don't absolutely have to, but you know, it's a plus to have that for sure. Mm-hmm. I think also, um, during that time, it gave me, because I would be in the lab from, you know, like, 9 to 5. And if it was a bad day, I would be there till like, 6 or 7. But luckily, those were not, those were far and few in between. Um, but it gave me the time to be able to, like I said, study for my MCAT and prepare my medical school application. Um, so that's what I also repeat. That's what was helpful about that job. And again, it also connected me with the right people. Um, it got me sort of plugged into the University of Miami community. So that by the time I was applying to medical school, I had like multiple professors who ha- I had been doing research with sort of like vouching for me and keeping an eye out for my application and um, all of these things. So I sort of had like, I had a team who was supporting me because they saw that I came in and I did really good work during my time there. And so they were happy to support me. Um, I was able to get some really great recommendation letters from the PIs that I was working for, which I think was Mm -hmm. super helpful for my application. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It basically helped. It helped helped to connect me in a lot of ways. Um, And it looked great for my application as well to be doing research. And I was able to present my research again at a conference. Um, So that was also a huge plus. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. So even though you took, you know, time off from school, you didn't really take time off because, you know, in the background, <laughs> you were doing things to, you know, help you, you were, you were, you took time off to do, you know, some critical work to allow like the academic process flow as easily for you. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. Okay. Well, you just smooth sailing, man. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure like, you know, there were like various challenges for you. You know, like times where, you know, I, I guess like, you know, undergrad was like 
pretty frustrating and stuff. I mean, you kind of hinted to to it a little bit with saying that, like, you know, there is a lot of pressure with going to a school like Penn. Um, me having gone to USC, I met this one individual who um, who was a pre med uh, major actually at Princeton, and he transferred out because he was like, I can't stand the culture, like the pressure. It was entirely you know too much and stuff. So. Uh, that in itself is crazy. Um, now I know you you mentioned that you were like that over involved student and stuff, but how did you go about just maintaining your sanity? <laughs> like, what were some of the things that you you were doing to keep that in check? So I I am so grateful for my friends in undergrad because they kept me. They honestly they kept me sane. Like, if I was having a late night study session, one of my friends would come and join me. Um, we would really keep each other motivated. And so taking that time to develop those relationships with my friends was really sort of um, my sanity and my peace. Um, I also spent a lot of time, Philadelphia is like an amazing city. It's like one of my top three favorite cities in the country. It's It goes Miami, New Orleans, and Philly. So I loved, loved Philly. And so I would also spend a lot of time just exploring the city Mm -hmm. I would go for, like, runs. There was, like, a lot of, like, really nice, like, rivers and, like, nice little greenery to run through. So I would go for runs or go for walks or um, I'm super into pancakes. So, like, I I had this little stint where I was trying to find the best pancakes in Philly. So, like, every other weekend I would go try pancakes somewhere else. Um, so I would, just, I would just find those little ways to get connected to the people that I was with. And to the city that I was in and the environment that I was in, um, that, that was really sort of my peace. Those were my safe havens that kept me sane through it all. Um, I always say that my favorite, my favorite part about Penn was the people. Um, like Penn is a great place for opportunities and getting plugged in and networking and all of that. All of that is great, you know, world-renowned professors and all of the beautiful things that they talk about. Um, but really the best thing about Penn was like the people that I met and the communities that I got plugged into. Um, and that's, and that's really like, that's where I found my happiness. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's dope. That's dope. Well, I mean, it seems like, you know, I, I would like to say that, like, I mean, it seems like you, you are, uh, just like well put together at the moment, like with the stuff that, you know, you're doing and stuff. That's, that's great. And um, I know that you you recently just started doing some work uh, with the the Center for Haitian Studies yes. and stuff. Yeah. So I, I see like, you know, in addition to like being a med student, you're still trying to be involved in other ways and stuff. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what's that supposed to be about and how you're hoping, you know, like what are what are you hoping that will come from uh, this experience? Yeah. So basically what I do is. So the Center for Haitian Studies um, is a clinic. Um, it's sort of like a hub of the Haitian community in Miami. Um, and part of what they do is provide free healthcare services. Um, and so through the Department of Community Services at UM, um, I run it. I basically help to run our free student clinic, um, student-run free clinic, I should say. Um, mm -hmm. And that runs on a weekly basis. So what I do is that I'm the project manager for that role. So I help to manage a team of 
six of us student staff, um, and we run clinic on Monday nights at CHS, and we just provide services to um, the uninsured population, people who, you know, can't afford healthcare regularly. Um, so mm-hmm. part of what I do in that role is that I make is I help to make sure that we have a doctor on staff, um, help to make sure that we're providing patients with educational material, um, any sort of referrals. And then the ultimate goal is to, when a patient comes in through our doors without health insurance, provide them with quality health care and then sort of be a bridge to long-term care. Um, so I don't necessarily see, you know, my running this free clinic as like, this is, you know, the patient's ultimate end goal. Um, I'm just sort of a bridge. I'm just there to provide them a bridge to get longitudinal care so that we can get them hopefully on health insurance or we can get them, you know, with some type of like Jackson card or or something to really be able to provide them with consistent care. Um, And so that's really what we do at clinic is we, you know, we give free services to the uninsured. We help students come when they volunteer um, and they also help to see the patients. And so I've really just been managing that um, on a weekly basis. And it's been it's been super fulfilling because it's been a way for me to get plugged into the Miami community. Um, and also, I'm a very loud and proud Haitian. So it's awesome to be able to, you know, serve Haitians specifically. Um, and that's been, like, an amazing experience. Like, you will have, like, the little old lady patients come in and they're super sweet and, like, super mm-hmm. happy and super grateful that we're there. Um, and really, I think that my goal ultimately with that clinic is to, you know, continue to help people who are not in the position to be able to be helped by the way that the healthcare system is set up right now, um, and really help to provide them with quality care so that they're still able to have their health because that's something that's so powerful, um, and that Mm -hmm. so many people are, you know, kind of, kind of robbed of. And so, that's really my goal is to help the community and then hopefully um, in a really like longitudinal, long-term way have real impact in these patients' lives. Mm. Wholesome work by a wholesome individual. <laughs> <laughs> it's very inspiring, Krishna. It's very inspiring. Um, I want to thank you so much for like just having this uh, call with me. This been It's been an awesome experience for me to just hear about your journey and how you have gotten to where you are today so thank you so much for that well thank you for having me and for listening to me talk for so long (laughs) (laughs) this was really great this is really great i love i love that you're doing something like this um you know i will be rooting for you from afar from up close (laughs) this is really (laughs) awesome i feel grateful to have been a part of this no man thank you no thank you I appreciate that so much. It means a lot. 